Lord Jesus, we're gathered here today to recognize your greatness in our lives. So we take these moments, we from our hearts lift up praise to you because you're the only one who's worthy of our praise. Thank you, Lord, for filling this place with your presence. You promised. You promised that when two or three would gather in your name, you would be there, and you are. Thank you. Lord, today we recognize our need for you. We lift up those who couldn't be here with us today. We, we remember the Wrench family and their time of, of mourning the loss of Lance's dad. Lord, we pray that you'd surround them with your presence today. Comfort their hearts. And now, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd continue to just bless this meeting with, with your presence and speak to our hearts. Draw us close to you. We acknowledge you above all else. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you are looking around. You're saying, who is that guy up front? Well, my name is Steve. And Pastor Lance called me earlier this week and let me know of the, the death in the family and asked me if I would come and be here with you and share a message this morning. So it's my privilege to be here. And uh, by the way, Merry Christmas. I, You know, I'm a Christmas buff. I, I don't know about you, but I just, uh, once Thanksgiving is passed, now it's, it's, it's open game. I can say Merry Christmas to everybody and... Uh, it's it's a big event. I mean, I mean, what are we celebrating? Uh, yeah, you know, okay. Yeah, I know that there's there's all kinds of other celebrations going on and and gift giving and all of that stuff. And it's really easy to be self-absorbed at Christmas. I, I mean, you want to talk about self-absorbed? Look at kids. I mean, the younger, the more self-absorbed. Babies are the worst. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I mean, talk about self-absorbed. They don't care what time of the day or night it is, it's all about them. I mean, you know, I'm hungry. doesn't matter if you're sleeping. I'm hungry. And uh, I got a wet diaper. And they are, they are totally dependent. I mean, they can't do anything. They're useless. Oh, well, no, they're not useless. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's all about me. And, and, it, and, you know, I think even as children grow up, and we've got grandkids now, our youngest is two years old, our oldest is eight years old. So we've got five grandkids, and, and the eight-year-old is probably growing out of that totally self-absorbed, the world is all wrapped around me. But the rest of them, they, I mean, they still haven't figured that out. And moms and dads do a lot to reinforce that. I mean, you know, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for breakfast? You know, oh, you don't want cereal? Would you like? And, and I talked to a mom the other day, and she says, you know, I'm realizing I don't have to give them all these options. You know, we've got bacon and eggs on the table. You don't want it? Then you're not really hungry. But children can be so self-absorbed. And, and i got to tell you, sometimes adults are too. It's all about me. I met one of them driving here today. I mean, it was all about, I mean, they, they didn't know anybody else was on the road. You cut me right off, and it's like, whoa, where... You know, 
quick pulled into a, a, a coffee place, and I figured, well, they just hadn't had their coffee yet this morning. It's all about them, though. And uh, I, I noticed that the Apostle Paul even talked about this. In 1 Corinthians 13, he said, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. You heard the story about the little girl. This is quite a few years ago when 25 cents really meant something, but she had two quarters. Her mom gave her two quarters before she went to Sunday school and uh, said one of these is for Jesus. She put it in the offering. This is for Jesus. And the other quarter, you on the way home, we'll stop at the gas station. You can pick up some candy. Now I think you could maybe get a gumball. That's, that's it. So uh, the little girl, she's got the two quarters tight in her hand, and she's walking out to the car, and one of them slips between her fingers, hits the pavement, and rolls down, and there happens to be a gutter right at the end of the driveway, clink right down through the gutter. She walks over there, looks down in through the grating, shakes her head and says, well, Jesus, there went your quarter. <laughs> well, what, what is that about? Because... It's not my quarter. Mine's still in my hand. I know it is. It's all about me. And, and we can also be that kind of self-absorbed person. I, I like what, what the New Testament does. In fact, the, the writer Luke, he really kind of captures it, but it really wasn't Luke that captured it. It was, it was Jesus' words. In fact, if you have a red-letter edition Bible, and you look up Luke chapter 15, the whole page is in red. Jesus is talking, and he tells three stories. And I want to share just a little bit about those three stories. The first one was, the, the, they, they call them parables. They're stories to illustrate a point. And Jesus talked about a woman, or um, excuse me, the first one's about a man. A man has 100 sheep. And he herds them all into the pen and counts them as they come in. And he comes 97, 98, 99. And he's missing one. And the story says that he closes the gate and he goes out. He leaves the 99 behind and he goes out looking for that one lost sheep. Why? Because it's all about you. It's all about me. I mean, think of what, what we call the gospel, the good news, in a nutshell. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the 99. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I was taught from a, from a very early age that I could take my name and I could put my name in there for God so loved Stephen that he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because it's all about me. God's focus is all about me and it's all about you. God loved you so much that he wasn't willing that you die and, and face eternity without him, he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. It's the story. That's the truth. That's, that's the whole reason 
we celebrate Christmas, and sometimes we separate the manger from the cross. And I know that there were there were thirty some years there between those two events, but but Jesus came in a manger so that he could die on a cross. This was God's plan. And I know that it's so easy for us to take and look at, at the little baby Jesus all wrapped up in in in, in a blanket, and, and it, how precious. But we see him stretched out on a cross and bloody and wounded, dying for our sins, and we want to turn away. But they're the same story. And it's all about you. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus. The, the second story in Luke 15 is, starts at verse 8. It's a story about a woman who had ten coins. And she lost one. And she turns her house upside down. I mean, she gets out of her Electrolux and she's, she's vacuuming. She's, she's texting friends. She's saying, I, you got you to pray for me because I've lost this coin. And th- I mean, she's pulling furniture out from the walls. She's, she's, she's doing everything she can to find this lost coin. And finally, she finds it. She logs into Facebook and she posts you know, a picture of her with the coin and, 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 and she's, she is excited about the fact she found the one that was lost. Get it? It's all about you. It's all about me. That's the story. That, that, is, that is from beginning to end the story of who Jesus is. And Jesus, he's in this narrative, he's, he's telling the story. Th- this is the picture. The third story, the third story is, is one that we're all familiar with. In fact, in fact, I am told that secular universities around the world have declared that this story found at the end of Luke chapter 15 is the, the, the very best example of a short story ever written. Isn't that incredible? People study this story. All the components are there. It is, it is told in such a way, it's captivating. It's the story of the prodigal son. In the beginning of the story, you have a father with two sons. One of the sons is belligerent. He's rebellious. He, he's arrogant. He comes to his father. He says, Dad, I'm not waiting for you to die. I want my inheritance now. Well, and the father... In, Instead of becoming indignant and, and punishing his son, he says, okay, son, if that's what you want. And he scrapes together what would be his inheritance and he gives it to him. Here it is. And the son takes off, goes to a distant country. He wastes everything and he lives a lifestyle that he knows his mom and dad would not be happy with. And when he, when he finally, he, he exhausts all of his, his money. He spent it all. He finds himself, and you've got to remember the context of the story. This is a Jewish family. This is a Jewish boy. And this Jewish boy finds himself in a pig pen. Okay? You get the picture. This is the lowest job that anyone, and Jews would never do this job. And he finds himself out there slopping the pigs, and he's considering eating the slop because he's so hungry. And the scripture says, he comes to his senses. He, he, it's, it's, he has this aha moment. The light bulb appeared above his head, and, and it, it was just one of those, oh, 
I remember my father's house. My father has servants that have their own bedrooms, an indoor bathroom. They have three square meals a day. They have clothes to cover them. They, they, they have warmth at night. My, my father's servants live better than what I'm living. If I could just go back to my father's house and I could be a servant. I know, I know I've, I've done some terrible things and my father would never take me back as his son. But if, if I could just fill out an application and maybe get a job with him, I'd have it a whole lot better than I've got it now. And somehow now he doesn't have money for bus fares, he's, he's got a hoof it. He, 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 he makes it all the way back to his father's house. And there must have been like a long lane. I, this is the way I picture it. The father's in the house and he's, he's looking out through the window and he steps over to the door and he's leaning against the door frame and sighing heavy. And what's on, his, what's on the father's mind? He's thinking, I wish my son would come back home. My life isn't complete without my son. He's been lost for all these months and years, and, and, and I just wish I could see him one more time. And about that time, a figure appears at the end of the lane and starts walking toward the house, and he looks and he squints. I've got a friend I, I, I go hunting with down by south of Winter, and uh, one time I, I brought my two brothers with, and we were standing together and watching my brothers come toward us, and he, he looks over at me and says, yep, they walk like a Shibley. I, I had no idea that Shibleys walked any different than anybody else. But I guess it's, it's really true that we all have our own gait and we all have our own way of walking and it's probably hereditary and something we learn from our parents. And, and I think the father, when he looked down that lane and he saw that figure, he recognized the gait of his son. That's my boy. I recognize him. And while he was still way down the lane, the dad threw open the door and he ran. The servants are looking, going, man, I've never seen that guy run like that. I've never seen that guy run. And he runs out and the servants are following. They don't know what's going on. What's, what's up? What's up? And he gets out there and he, he wraps his arm around his son, probably lifts him off the ground, spins him around. He says, oh, son, it's so good to see you. I'm sure there were tears. I'm sure there were lots of tears. And the son starts to say, Dad, I'm so sorry. He's probably interrupted a couple of times by this father saying, Hey, hey, go, go, go get the, the robe. Go get the, the family ring, you know, the one with the crest on it. Put it on his finger. Wrap him around with that robe. You know that, that calf that we've got we're feeding out in the, in the back there? Go out there and start the butchering process because we're having a party tonight because my son, the one who was lost for all this time, is back. So why is the party going on? Because it's all about you. It's all about me. It's all about that lost one coming back into the fold, into the family. The son says, Oh, if, if I can just be a servant, then the father won't have anything. To say. It, it, I, I'm not even going to hear you. You were my son. You are my son. You will always be my son. Let's go in home. Let's go back in home. We're home together. 
It's all about me. It's all about you. And then something incredible happens. And I'll come back in a few minutes and tell you about it. And then something incredible happens. Paul would say, I grew up. But I think there's something that happens, kind of a, a maybe a gradual maturing, a change in our thought process. And we start realizing that it's not just about us. Maybe it's when we, we fall so in love with God. We, we get so excited about what he's doing for us that we realize it's not about us, it's about him. And we start singing songs like we just sang, Emmanuel, the God who is who's come to be with us. And we, we sing we sing worship songs to him. Th- there's, there's something that changes in us. I remember I remember very clearly one year I my maturity level spiritually changed. Where worship services were long, they were boring, it's kind of like get it over with, and then they went by so quick. And I was enjoying them so much. And it was a change in me. It was a change in heart. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about my time with him. And my ability just just to, to shut myself off from all the other distractions and to focus on who he is and what he's done and on how much I love him. We grow up. Christmas isn't about what we get. It's more about what we can give. Something changes in us. And instead of looking under the tree and shaking packages and trying to figure out what's in our packages, oh, we can still do that. It's, it's wondering, what can I get for so-and-so that will make their day? There's a lot of things that change. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The New Living Translation says it a lot more clearly. He says, I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not about me. It's all about him. We quote that scripture, I can do all things. And we don't stop. We keep going and we say, through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because it's not about what I can do, it's what he can do through me. We change. Well, we, we, we start wearing that Jesus jewelry, you know, the WWJD stuff, and, and we, we, we wear it with a whole different significance. It's not just because it's in vogue and, and it's a cool thing to do, but it's, it's really the question we ask about every decision. What would Jesus do? Why? Because it's, it's really not important what I want. It's what he wants. 
It's looking for his direction. I believe it was Charles Sheldon who wrote the book originally. It's, it's a classic. It's called In His Steps, and the whole, the whole premise of the book is living your life asking that question. For every decision, every time you come to a crossroads saying, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Why? Because it's not about me. It's about him. So how does this play out in our everyday life? Well, I thought you'd never ask. Let me tell you. First of all, it shows up in our family. It shows up in how we treat our, our spouse, how we treat our children, how we treat our siblings, uh, because it's not just that annoying sister. It's, it's now it's, it's that sister that is the gift from God into my life to help me to be more like Jesus. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, right, for sure. I have a sister, and she and I fought like cats and dogs up to a certain point where she realized I could probably beat her up. She's older than me. My dad always told her that day will come, be careful. And she would annoy me and pester me, and today she is one of my dearest friends. We're close. It's my two younger brothers that were annoying. And they were always standing between me and the TV and had to keep looking around or making noise when I was trying to watch something or, or getting into my stuff. And, and now they're my dearest friends. They're getting together, all of them, in Minneapolis tomorrow and I can't be or today, and I can't be there. And it got me really bummed out. Because it's not just about me. It's about them. It's, uh, it's, it, it shows up in my work. It's not just that job I have to go to. This is the place that God has appointed for me for this time. And he's got me there for a reason. And every day I'm saying, Lord, how can I, how can I fulfill that purpose today in this job? Is it someone that I, I'm working with or next to or someone I'm going to encounter on the job? What is it, Lord? Because it's not about me. This is about you. This is about your kingdom. It's not my money. And I know preachers talk too much about money. But, you know, th Jesus never had a problem with money. He, he, Peter comes to him one day and says, uh, Jesus, we, we need money for the temple tax. I don't know how much it was, but he didn't have it. They must have already gone to Judas and said, uh, Judas, do we, do we have enough to pay the tax? And Judas says, hey, we're plumb out. G Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we got we to come up with this money. We got to come up with it now. Jesus says, Peter, you're a fisherman. Go down to the dock. Cast a line in. Catch a fish. We need money, not fish. So don't worry. I got it covered. When you catch a fish, just open its mouth, look inside, and there'll be enough money. This is Peter. I mean, he, is, he has caught thousands of fish. Never has he seen a coin come out of one of them mouth. He goes down with a single line, not a net. He goes out, throws a line out, catches a fish, brings it in, pops its mouth open, and there's a coin in there. And it's enough to pay the temple tax. Now, you know what I would do? I'd mark the spot, and I'd be out there with scuba gear trying to figure out where this fish got that, because where there's one coin, there's got to be more. 
Jesus didn't have a problem with money. I mean, think about this. Jesus, it says in John chapter 1, that he was in the beginning with God. So he is part of that triune, that, that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that were in existence before the earth was even created. So all those veins of gold that they discovered out in the Black Hills and other places, guess what? There's more out there, and Jesus knows exactly where they are. Anybody here like to go out and pick up agates or, or other rocks? Am I alone in that? Oh, good, good. There's some other people. I, I love, and here in South Dakota, you know, it's Fairburns, and, and my favorite is bubblegum agates. And, but I grew up on Lake Superior, and, and it was Lake, Lake Superior agates. And to this day, I've still got a little collection. Of, well, it's, it's, a, it's not really... Uh, I've got a collection of, of Lake Superior agates. And, and, and they're getting harder and harder to find. But, but just think about this. Is this an impossibility for Jesus? He knows where they are. Uh, he, could, he could walk out on the water and levitate them to the top and pick them up. He, I mean, this, this is not... And we get this thinking in our head that, it, that oh, Jesus is all about money. He just wants my money. He doesn't need your money. But the way you handle your money determines how you think about that money and if it's all about you or if it's all about God. So how we handle our money changes as we, as we make that transition into it's all about me into it's all about him. And so the next time you have a missionary come and he, he presents a need and, and you start reaching for your, your wallet and, and he, there's a 20 and there's a 50 and, you, and, and you're wondering which one and you choose the 50, you'll know what has happened in you. It's not about you. Something has changed. It's not my house. It's not my car. It's not my retirement. Why? Because it's all about him. We come to church, and the way we, we handle even a worship service is, is different. Uh, and, and I know that we get into these, these battles about over what's, what's the best kind of worship, whether it's the real progressive contemporary or, or whether it's hymns and we all get out our hymn books again or, or whatever. You know, that's not it. It's, it's about our heart. It's not about which, which song or which hymn or which chorus or whatever. It's, it's about our heart and how we are dealing with that music. I mean, when, when we come out of a worship service, the conversation should never be, well, how did you think the worship team did today? That's, that's not it. Because then it's pointing toward you. How did I feel? The, the real question that we should ask when we leave a worship service is, Jesus, how did I do today? Totally different perspective. It changes. Because it's not about me. Our attitude toward the church in general, because you know, I've got it down to about two different ways of looking at church. It's either going to be a country club or a gospel mission. The country club, it's all about me. I got my own parking spot. Don't let anybody sit in my spot. I've been to churches. Honestly, Rachel and I have been together. We've, we've gone in, 
sat down, and someone came and stood at the end of the row and looked at us because we were sitting in their chair. That person had the wrong idea. They had a country club mindset. It's, it's all about me. It's all about my comfort. It's all about what I'm comfortable with and, and the tradition. This is the way we do it. We don't do it any other way. Why? Because it makes me uncomfortable when it changes. And, and we all know it's all about me. That's a country club. A gospel mission, you go to a gospel mission, you know it's not about you. It's all about them. You go with the mindset of, how can I serve? How, how, can I, how can I, in my worship of God, do something that blesses someone else? Because it's not about me, it's about others. That's the church. And that's the church when we have grown up, like Paul says, we put away childish things, childish ways of thinking about things, and we've grown into that attitude of how can I minister to other people? I, I applaud you for what you're doing and, and partnering with these families that are needy. What that shows is, you know, you're, you're saying it's not about me. It's about how can I bless other people? How can I make their day? It's, it's this that Christmas attitude of, of, you know, when you walk by the, the, the Salvation Army kettle and you drop money into it because you know that they're going to take that and they're going to bless people that don't have what you have. It, it's that thing of where, where you walk by the, the Christmas tree and there's little ornaments on there and you pick one of them off and it has someone's name on it. And you buy a package and come back and put it with that name and give it to that person. You didn't have to do that. But you've taken that Christmas spirit that should be all through the year of it's not about me. It's about them. Because you see, the heartbeat of God is about the one that's lost. And once we've come to that place where we've asked Jesus into our heart and, and we, we, we are in the, the fold, we're, we're in the pen, we're, we're already in the purse, we're the son that stayed home. And, and, and I know he had his issues and we have our issues too, but, but, but you understand, it's not about us. Now the heart of God is for those that are still outside, the ones that are still lost. And you and I have opportunity to rub shoulders with them every single day. They're your neighbors. They're the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people that are just outside of your door, the ones that, that, that drive by your place or the ones that you drive by. They're, they're all around us. We, we meet them in the grocery store. We meet them in the restaurants. They're the people that, that, that come and serve us. And we need to treat them the way that Jesus wants us to treat them. It's when that person, you know, you're in a motel and, and you walk out of your room and here's, here's this gal standing beside a cart and you know that she's going to be coming in to clean your room. You don't owe her anything. But you stop and say, thank you for your work. Thank you. 
because they are underappreciated. It's when the server comes and brings you your food and you don't gripe and complain about every little thing. You know, come on, it's not about you. Have you ever stopped a server and said, is there any way that I can pray for you? Rachel and I have done that several times. We do it quite regularly. And, and there are very, very few times that we have someone say, nope, nothing. But we've had many times where people have said, with tears coming down their cheeks, yeah, could you pray for my grandma? She's, she just had a heart attack or she's in the hospital or my brother, my, my husband, my kids. or Because we are walking next to the people that Jesus loves. And Jesus would love to draw them in. And you and I are a part of that. The Father said to Jesus, go and represent me in this world. Jesus said it. The things that I do, I don't do of myself. I do because the Father has told me to do them. And as the Father has sent me, this Jesus' words, he said, so I'm sending you. That's you, that's me. Now it's not about us. It's about doing what Jesus has asked us to do. So this morning, let me leave you with this challenge. That this week, next week, and even after Christmas, that you be the example of Jesus in our world. That you live your life in a way that you're reflecting positively on the kingdom of God. Let your focus not just be on you and what pleases you and makes you happy, but on how you can bless someone else. Let's be the, the ambassadors of Jesus everywhere that we go. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we sing the song, I Surrender All, and we, we, we sing other choruses that that's talk about how we're giving up everything and it's all about you and that we worship you. Lord, I pray that as we go about our daily work and as we go about our assignments, that you would help us to live our lives in a way that blesses other people. Help us to be the true representatives of the kingdom. Help our life's focus to be to serve you and to, to reach out to the people that you love so much. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. But now it's not about us. It's about you and it's about all of those others. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you. Keep our eyes open now today as we go our different ways. And, and as we see people, Lord, help us to see them the way you see them. Help us to see them with a purpose in mind of reflecting Jesus to them. Help us to truly be the ambassadors that you've called us to be. Now you're sending us. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. 
baptize believers because it's all about you. We ask this now in your name.